we go. Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. We've got a special guest with us today. It's Congressman Andy Barr who's joining us. And as you can imagine, there is a lot to talk about. There's lots going on in Washington and the country. So over to you, Tom. Here's our host, Tom Dupree. So this is a song by Johnny Lee from, you know, it got known by being from the movie Urban Cowboy. Uh, Johnny Lee was a very good friend of Mickey Gilly, where the movie is set. Uh, I went back and watched the movie. I don't think I'd watched it for 25 years. And it came out in 1980, and I moved to Houston in 1983. Believe it or not, by the time I got to Houston in 83, Gillies had gotten rid of their mechanical bull. And that's like the centerpiece of the whole movie. But the reason is, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about energy and gasoline prices and things. And, you know, the story is that John Travolta comes to the city, works at the refinery, and meets Deborah Winger. They get married, and then they fight each other, and then they get back together. But the point is, uh, there's a lot of heroes these days in the petroleum business. Not just the exploration and production, the, the midstream and the refining business. It's, over, it's under tremendous attack by politicians democrats and things and you know i just want to give a nod to them let me read the psalm here uh don't i still like to have it going as you read a psalm well sort of we need like quiet prayerful time uh no keep it going psalm 40 i waited patiently for the lord he inclined to me and heard my cry He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Okay. I want to, you know, one of the things that's on a lot of people's minds, and this is our congressman, if you're in the 6th District, uh, which includes Fayette County, which is where we are right now. Um, 
one of the big things on everybody's mind is sort of, I guess, the two-headed monster of inflation and high gasoline prices. You know, it's anybody's guess. Is one driving the other or is the other driving the one? And um, you can argue it either way. But certainly it is uh, of concern to people in government. And we had thought about talking about uh, the overturn of Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs case, but that has been discussed ad nauseum, and I I didn't really want to go with that because I feel like these other uh, things are more of concern to our listeners. They're more directly painful in your face on a daily basis. So, Congressman, uh, you know, I would like to talk to you about your take on inflation and fuel prices. Well, Tom, thanks for having me on the program again. Uh, and it's it really comes down to just a simple um, where we were and where we are now. Because on the day President Biden was sworn into office, the average price for a gallon of gas nationwide was $2.39. That's regular. Regular unleaded. Yeah. You go to regular unleaded uh, on January 20th, 2021, the day Joe Biden uh, raised his hand and swore an oath to defend the Constitution, the price of a gallon of gasoline in America was $2.39. That's what he inherited. Today, uh, the uh, national average price of a gallon of gasoline is approximately $5. That's an all-time high. Gas prices have more than doubled since well, Joe Kentucky, Biden took office. In Kentucky, it's a little below that, right? It's like four sixty-five. Um, not much, but it was almost yeah, $5. It was. It got there. Um, in some places, it's far above oh, I agree. $5. I so agree with We're that. talking about the, the national average. Diesel prices, of course, have skyrocketed even more, 75% in just one year. And even before Putin's invasion of Ukraine, you know, of course, Biden calls this Putin's price hike, which is nonsense. Uh, Biden presided over the largest year-over-year rise, rise in gas prices in at least 30 years. That's, that's on February 24th, the day that Putin invaded. Uh, and even worse, economists are projecting that the average national retail price for a gallon of regular gasoline will surpass $6 a gallon by August that means Americans will spend over $2,000 extra a year on gas just to fill up their car or truck under President Biden. And this is a large part of not just gasoline, but energy inputs, electricity. Right. Uh, a large reason that inflation has increased 8.6% in May, the largest 12-month increase in over 40 years. Okay, let's step back from the political aspect of it. We all know that you know Biden did this and that. I don't always 100% blame things in the market on politicians in power because I've seen the other side do it to Bush and you can go back and forth with that. Let's talk about the factors, the actual on the ground reasons why we're seeing um, this. Now, my belief is that the real bottleneck is at the refiners, the, the people who actually produce fuel and and take it from uh, crude and and why do I believe this? Because we we've seen crude pull all the way back to 102 bucks a barrel. It got all the way to 125 or 
129, 130 almost. Okay. And it pulled back, and then you saw diesel prices did not budge. And uh, what's happened in the last several years, decades really, is that refiners, people who convert crude oil into fuel, have been discouraged from uh, investing back into plant and equipment and expansions. They're all running at full capacity. Uh, Within a month or so, one large refiner on the Gulf Coast, uh, the Lyondale Basel uh, refinery, 269,000 barrels a day is coming offline, maybe permanently. You wanted to talk about ESG, and I have no problem blending ESG into this topic. The thrust is to get rid of refineries. This is going on with the EPA, with all the regulatory apparatus, and Wall Street is now bought into this. Meanwhile, what they don't uh, look at is that the uh, internal combustion engine is the most efficient way to provide motive power. It's highly inefficient to do electric cars. What can you do? What are you thinking about? What are you wanting to do in terms of promoting, you know, more growth in this area? Well, Tom, you're right. You cannot discuss the issue of uh, uh, refinery capacity without talking about uh, ESG, which for your listeners is a is, is a term that uh, stands for environmental and social governance. It's a trend that started in the European financial sector and migrated over to woke Wall Street banks and large asset managers in the, in the United States. Uh, politicizing the allocation of capital, redirecting capital away from refinery refinery capacity and production and exploration. Great. But, I've never heard anybody describe it that way. Yeah. That's really good. The problem, though, compounding this very odious trend of corrupting capitalism wow. and the free flow of, of capital and free enterprise, distorting free enterprise and free markets, is the fact that the Biden administration is now attempting to codify some of these practices and mandate it, mandate the distortion of the marketplace, uh, especially the energy markets. Um, so uh, why is this? Ha- why why do, why is this happening? It's, it's a good question. Public policy does have a uh, have has uh, a part in this, not, and not just because Biden rejoined the Paris Climate Agreement, not just because the Biden administration uh, blocked and canceled the Keystone XL pipeline and other key energy infrastructure projects that would have delivered uh, Canadian crude oil to our refineries in the Gulf of Mexico, not just because uh, the Biden administration is uh, blocking new uh, lease sales for oil and gas and currently holding up stonewalling 4,400 permits for drilling, but also the ground zero of this, um, and the latest thing you probably know about is that the EPA is looking at uh, methane uh, flaring in the Permian, where uh, Texas has lowered the amount of flaring by 70% with about three times the production from when they started. And yet this could shut in half the wells in the Permian Basin, which produces like 5 million barrels a day, 
just the Permian in Texas. Yeah, and so so, so, so that, that's, that's another example. Yeah, another also, example. Also, the Biden administration is, to your point, thwarting new large-scale refineries, the construction of new large-scale refineries. But I still believe, and I maintain, and maybe it's my bias serving on the Financial Services Committee with oversight over financial regulators, including the Securities and Exchange Commission, that ground zero in this war against domestic energy is the weaponization of financial regulation against fossil energy. Uh, people talk about, uh, a lot of times they talk about lease sales and permits and the EPA, uh, but where the Biden administration is focusing most of its energies in, um, in, uh, in, in, in f- killing our, our energy independence is, is through financial regulation and securities regulation. Uh, what, what, what's, what are a couple of examples of that? Uh, Treasury, the Treasury Department. They have now a new climate czar. Uh, uh, Janet Yellen is going across the financial regulatory landscape to the OCC, to uh, the FDIC, to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau even, and weaponizing bank regulation uh, against uh, any financial institution that has a, a book of loans. There's two new climate committees at the Federal Reserve. So uh, there's a proposal to uh, use so-called climate stress testing on large financial institutions to discourage lending to uh, fossil energy projects or refineries. It can be midstream, it can be downstream, it can be production, exploration. And as anyone knows, in the energy sector, exploration of for hydrocarbons is an incredibly capital-intensive yeah. enterprise. Let me add a little color to that. In 2014, you had a major drop in energy prices. All kinds of capital in that industry was wiped out, not by regulation, but by market forces. Too much money flowed in. What the industry did was imposed capital disciplines upon itself. So they were not going to willy-nilly raise money through the junk bond market or other kinds of things. They were going to be very disciplined in their approach. One of the companies that we, we know about is EOG, based in Houston. They're very disciplined with the wells that they drill. They finance most of what they do internally. So they don't rely on the banks to loan them money, that kind of thing. It's going to be tough for a lot of those people to uh, – you can weaponize the, the banks all you want, but a lot of the money going into that is going to get sort of disintermediated sure. away from the banks. That, that brings me to the Securities and Exchange Commission. It. Because the SEC under Chairman Gensler uh, is the other part of this equation, not just bank regulation, but, uh, but using uh, our securities regulation and disclosure rules for public companies – uh, against energy, American energy. So, so what they did, uh, they put out a few months ago a proposed disclosure rule uh, that would require public companies um, to disclose their emissions profile, yeah. uh, and not just their emissions profile, but not just not yeah, just their I, own I emissions, not just the emissions arising from their own operations, but also the emissions from the producers of the energy that they consume. That's called yeah. scope two emissions. Right. And then finally, to get at... There the, is no way in hell that happens. I get, mean, I just and, can't see that. Well, happen. there's a lawsuit brewing. but yeah. and, and, and then the other one, this is a proposed rulemaking that's being finalized. Uh, the comment period is now just expired. 
Uh, they didn't have a long enough comment period. This is this is a monstrosity. Uh, this is a 534-page monstrosity of a of a regulation for on every single public company in America. But where they reach into non-public private companies is what's called Scope Three emissions, where they say if you're a publicly listed on you're you're listed on a public exchange, you're a public company. You also have to disclose on your 10K, uh, uh, disclosing to your shareholders. The emissions of your customers and your suppliers. So everyone in your supply chain, you're going to now have to go in and identify their emissions profile and disclose it. So what is this going to do for the American shareholder? Yeah. Yes, it's a yes. It's about discriminating but, against. But yes, you about, and I both heck, know this will never happen. But let me just finish the point. It's 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 it, yes. It's about discriminating against American energy companies and 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 discriminating against capital flows into those energy companies, it's also going to hurt retail investors in multiple ways. It's going to inundate the retail shareholder with mountains of irrelevant and immaterial information that they don't want, they don't sure. need. And, and like second, they don't get enough already. And it's going to expose, it's going to expose these public companies of all kinds of lawsuits about technical uh, failures to disclose uh, information that they're required. It's to. not going to happen. Well, it may not, but it, let me it tell isn't you what. Let me tell you what they want. It. They, this is a transparent attempt to punish capital flows sure it is. into American energy companies. All right, we've got. And I'll, I'll make the final point here. Let me make the final point. This is all. What, if you are worried about inflation and gas prices, this is what's going on right now, because. Because it's all about constraining the supply of That's fossil energy. I agree with that. It's a supply-demand mismatch. There's there's high demand and there's inadequate supply. Redirecting financial flows, capital flows away from American energy companies means less exploration, less, less investment, less production. And that's the constraint supply in the supply-demand mismatch that's pushing prices up. Okay, we got four minutes. November 6th. 2022, by all predictions, the Republican wave crests, and you guys win back the House. What immediate changes are we going to see? Well, there's two or three obvious immediate changes. Number one is we deprive Democrats and the president of what's called the reconciliation power. This is what enabled the administration and congressional Democrats to pass the $2 trillion ARPA, American, quote-unquote, American Rescue Plan. It's also what enabled Democrats and the president to threaten the huge tax increases and the $6 trillion in additional spending in what was called Build Back Better. It was possible for them to do so without a single Republican vote. Now, they didn't have all Democrats on board, and that's why they weren't able to pass it. But the threat, this is also... This also plays into the inflation story because the threat of higher taxes, that the dark cloud of higher taxes over the American business sector, energy and otherwise, over the last year and a half, has stifled capital expenditures, limited and deterred business investment, the kinds of capex and business investment needed to repair our supply chain needed to pull forward that that uh, that capital to, to fix those supply constraints. And so when you take off the table the threat of higher taxes, that helps encourage additional CapEx, more business okay. investment, more efficiency on the supply you're, side. You're talking about stuff that doesn't necessarily affect 
our readers or listeners uh, directly. You know, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I think it does. I, I look at Kevin McCarthy as kind of Paul Ryan 2.0. You're going to have to prove to me that it's different. January 6th, we've had the show trial going on January 6th. Does it go away? Yeah, and what what comes in its place is real oversight. And that's the second thing that changes. The second thing that changes is that Republicans like Jim Jordan at the Judiciary Committee, Jamie Comer at the Oversight Committee, they have the gavels. Patrick McHenry and my committee, we have the gavels. That means we have more meaningful oversight to bring in. You got voicemails of Joe Biden talking to Hunter about deals. Okay, you all have the subpoena power that the uh, that the Senate does not have. I want to hear that there's going to be a deep dive into some things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's going to be a whole lot of um, investigations on things that actually matter. You mentioned January 6th. The oversight that hasn't happened about January 6th is what the Speaker's office did to stop the National Guard from coming in and, and assisting the Capitol Hill police. What we haven't heard about January 6th is wh- why there were security lapses at the Capitol. Uh, those are the kinds of oversight questions that haven't been asked. The other Good stuff. The, the, other, the other issue is not just about Hunter Biden and the president. Uh. Those conflict of interests are important, and they will be investigated. But in my committee, how, how about we investigate... Um, uh, uh, you know, what's what's behind this ESG agenda? Why don't we investigate the CFPB and what their agenda is to weaponize the credit you guys are gonna have against to get mean. American businesses? You, you can't be, this can't be Paul Ryan 2.0. Got to be different. All right. You're only going to get one more chance. There's more. There's more to the answer there, to that and question. And you know what else? There's more to the Tom <laughs> Dupree show. In the second segment, we got to go to a break. We're powered. This show, Tom Dupree Show, is powered by Dupree Financial Group. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned for more with Congressman Andy Barr. He was always there, playing for the mic. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us this week, our special guest, Congressman Andy Barr. Also sitting in, Darce Meshru, Missy Clifton, and here's our host, Tom Dupree. 
All right, you didn't quite finish up, Congressman, uh, in that last. You know, I used to call you Andy all the time, and now I actually call you Congressman. I think I've become more respectful of the office <laughs> as the years have gone along. And you know, you got you got to kind of give me that. You know? <laughs> well, thank you, but I'm I'm. I'm, I don't require a lot of formality. I'm, okay, I'm well, good with the but in, informal. And I, just as you're not requiring it, I'm starting to <laughs> okay, show it. All okay. right. So, well, but, what else is going to be different about yeah, the election? That's right. um, you know, I, I do give Leader McCarthy credit for giving us uh, assignments and homework to prepare, not just to the purpose of our efforts to win these elections is not to just win. It's to actually save the country. And so when we take the majority, the American people expect us to keep our promises and actually deliver results. So he's to his credit, he's, he's uh, put members into seven separate task forces to prepare an agenda, a governing agenda uh, that will broaden the base of support for our party um, because the vast majority of Americans are going to support what we do and how we deliver and make life better for them. And we call this our commitment to America so that when Americans go to the ballot box this fall, they know they're voting not just for an an individual party or individual members of Congress or candidates, they're voting for an agenda. Right. And the agenda that we support is going to be this commitment to America is broken out into seven categories the Jobs and Economy Task Force, which we focus on tax relief and empowerment and uh, deregulation and, and getting the country going again from an economic standpoint. We're probably already in a recession. Inflation is raging. So that's what that task force is going to be focused on. Sure. Secondly, big tech censorship and data. The American people are sick and tired of this uh, oligopoly of tech companies uh, violating their privacy, censoring their speech, um, uh, politicizing um, uh, their access to uh, public fora. And then the future of American freedom, and also their data security. Uh, Then the future of American freedoms, um, uh, Jim Jordan is going to be leading that task force. The energy, climate, and conservation, we just talked about that agenda, more energy production, less less politicization of capital allocation. Uh, My friend Garrett Graves from Louisiana, is going to be leading that group. American security. This is about funding the police, resourcing the police, border security, right. protecting our homeland. That's led by John Katko. Uh, a healthy future, my colleague and friend Brett Guthrie, uh, the health subcommittee ranking Republican. He's going to lead health care reform to lower the cost of health care, give us more competition and choice in health care. Completely broken system. Totally. And then finally, um, I'm the number two on this task force, the China the China Task Force, House China Task Force, China Accountability. Uh, our, you, you love that one, don't you? It's our most significant national security. It's a generational yeah. threat to our country. Right. So that's an important uh, responsibility. So look, that's a preview of coming attractions this fall, this September. There will be a major announcement. The details, the granular details will be available to the American people in this commitment to America. And, and, and that's what we're going to govern on uh, when we win the majority back. All right. Missy. Adarsh, questions. I was going to switch gears a little bit. And, uh, you know, last time we spoke, we spoke about uh, uh, cryptocurrencies. And, uh, you know, we just had uh, a stable coin. We spoke about stable coins. Terra Luna just blew up and uh, lots of people lost money. So where exactly, uh, you know, do you stand on uh, the regulation of cryptocurrencies and uh do you see them being regulated uh, or uh, treated as securities or uh, 
commodities? Adarsh, good question. This is very, very important. And uh, the, the blow-up of Terra and Tether is not because stable coins are, are, are bad or, or inherently um, volatile. It's that there is no uh, well-regulated framework for stable coins. And to be fair, Tether and Terra are not stable coins. They were marketed as stable coins, but they were not. Um, so I believe, and I, you know me, I'm not for overregulation, but I believe we do need to develop a framework for regulating stable coins. And for your listeners, what does that mean? Uh, the difference between a stable coin and, say, a traditional cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. Bitcoin uh, is, um, is not backed by any sovereign uh, fiat currency. It's not. There's no algorithmic backing. It is a purely speculative investment. It does store value, just not very well, at least not yet. Um, so a stable coin would be tethered, so to speak, to a fiat currency or some algorithmic. Um, there's such thing as al- uh, algorithmic-backed uh, stable coins. Um, and the idea is that they're a better store of value than other types of uh, cryptocurrencies that have no backing. So uh, there, is a, there is, I think, a, a stable coin out there that is a model. Uh, it's called U.S. Digital. Uh, it's U.S. Dollar Coin. It's out of uh, the company Circle out of Boston. They have a, a pretty good record of uh, minimizing volatility. Think of it as a money market fund. Now we have there has been a, a a breaking of the buck of of money market funds, but very rarely. And so the idea would be that you do have a dollar backed stablecoin. You get the advantages of cryptocurrency, specifically instantaneous settlement or near instantaneous settlement. You get the frictionless exchange. You get cross border low cost exchange, but you you have you have less volatility in that you have for every dollar. <laughs> digital dollar coin, there is a bank account where there's either a physical currency, a fiat currency backing that, or a, um, you know, liquid asset okay. like, a, like a treasury. Let, let, me, let me say this. Basically, and I'm, I'm not against these ideas, but basically you're punting the dollar and you're saying, you know, we got to go to this uh, stable coin deal because the u.s dollar is so screwed up not and, really and what's what's wrong with the idea of essentially shoring up the dollar and beginning to pay down debt and do no. things on the monetary side that would actually make the usd uh, a stronger thing i actually have. think this does shore up the dollar i i think that if you how because cryptocurrency adoption rates are increasing even as crypto has gone through a sell-off here uh, and, um, of course, China is moving forward, as are other countries moving forward with central bank digital currencies. Some in the United States, especially progressives, Leo Brainerd, Governor Brainerd at the Fed, is they're pushing forward with a, a concept of a, of a, a Fed, uh, U.S. Uh, or a central bank digital currency. I think the way to protect the dollar's dominance and the, the dollar status of the world's reserve currency is a framework for a U.S. fiat-backed stablecoin that's auditable, no. that's that that has transparency, that we we can verify. You're going to have to verify. sell me on that idea. Well, I, I, it, I don't. It's I, far better than a than a central bank digital currency that disintermediates banks, erodes the deposit. You're base. trying to get the Fed away from controlling. I am the bank. Correct, okay. correct, correct. Because well, I we mean, uh, you know, 
Okay. Let me answer Adarsh's second question, right. which is a good one, which is what do you think about crypto as a security? Crypto can be a security if it's defined as such under the traditional Howey test. Um, we're getting kind of deep in the weeds on securities law here. But not all cryptocurrency or crypto assets or digital assets are securities, and they shouldn't be regulated as such. The use case is what should determine uh, our regulatory approach. So, for example, if it is a currency, it should be regulated as a currency, not as a security. If it's used as a security, if the digital asset is used as a security, then the existing securities regulation framework should apply. If it's used as a commodity, the consumer the CFTC, the Commodity Futures and Trading Commission is the right agency, not the SEC, not the banking regulators that regulate currency. So it depends on the use case. And we're moving way past the Bitcoin days. We're moving so quickly into the innovation and digital asset space. We need to be careful not to stifle innovation with a one-size-fits-all regulation. That's a great answer. Great answer. Folks, That this is a guy that, in my opinion – has mastered the different departments of financial regulation in our government and what they all do and define for you the difference between a security, a currency, and a commodity. And that's a great answer. Missy. Wow, we're just trying to keep you on your toes, aren't we? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Missy. Good to see you. Um, it's great to see you too. Um, you know, a month ago, we, we set aside one day to honor the sacrifice of our veterans. And interestingly, yesterday, America um, laid to rest their last World War II Medal of Honor um, veteran. And it's just kind of interesting to me because I think that everything that's gone on since 2020 um, is really squirrely for me. Um, It's almost like the more un-American this country's become, the more pointless these sacrifices begin to look. And one of the things that if uh, local mirrors national, and that's what I wanted to ask you about, um, I attended a meeting where Lawrence Weathers, uh, our chief of police here in Lexington, spoke and made it very clear some of the issues that we were seeing as citizens of Lexington. Um, One of the issues that that the problem is, is that they are short drastically in the amount of police officers um, that they are not able to hire. And it's, I thought that that was, um, you know, he talked about the fact they can't even pay them overtime to, to cover the shifts. And I had just read an article where the, ben, you know, the Biden Pentagon has fallen so short of its military recruitment goals that they are dropping like 250 disqualifications that they normally would disqualify, um, you know, those that wanted to serve in the military. And I wanted just to ask you about that. Um, are these issues that will be addressed? You said that in your preview uh, at the beginning of the of, of this hour that you were talking about, there is a CATCO would be doing security. Yes. I just want to know what what's happening. Well, good question. And by the way, that uh, World War II uh, Medal of Honor winner, I had the great opportunity of of meeting him, and I've got a picture of me and him, Herschel Woody Williams. Um, uh, I met him at the um, the the Veterans Memorial in Frankfurt a few years back, and um, uh, may he rest in peace. What a hero to our country. Um, You know, George Washington, the father of our country, the first great general of our country, famously said, and I'm paraphrasing his famous quote, was, if if we don't treat our veterans with the honor and respect that they deserve, we won't have the ability 
to attract the next generation of warriors who will keep our who will preserve our freedom, protect our freedom, and keep our country safe. So how we honor our veterans is very, very important. We just passed a bipartisan bill in the Congress, in the House, that I supported uh, that will provide for veterans who are expo- to have toxic exposure, uh, exposure to these burn pits, our Camp Lejeune veterans who have, uh, who have uh, exposure to um, contaminated water. Uh, that, that's very important that we take care of these veterans after they serve. Now, that, that's not inexpensive. And as fiscal conservatives, we got to figure out a, a way to pay for those things. But we, we do owe a debt of gratitude to these veterans, and we need to take care of them. In terms of law enforcement, um, you know, we got to get past this defund the police movement, denigration of our law enforcement. Uh, of course, we need, um, you know, reform when there's the rare, rare case of a bad actor. But the morale is down. The reason why re- these recruiting goals are not being met is because you've got crazy proposals out there to strip qualified immuno- immunity from law enforcement officers who are underpaid and overworked at risk to their lives They've been demonized for the last two years. Absolutely. And so you've got Lexington, more than 100 officers short. Louisville, Metro Louisville is is, is 200 to 300 officers short. It's like this all across morale is terrible because of the mistreatment uh, of uh, our law enforcement officers who put their lives on the line to keep our community safe every single day. Um, So that's an issue. But to your, your last point, what are we doing about morale in the military? The reason why the Biden administration is falling short of their recruitment goals and why that's compromising our national security is because they have politicized the military. Because they now are more interested in sensitivity training, in diversity and inclusion, in quotas uh, uh, for woke training, as opposed to doing the mission. We, we talked about this in a prior show that it was more about it's the focus is on inclusion and not battle ready, not security. That's right. And, and I wanted to say this. We are very fortunate and, and I feel blessed to have had the honor of nominating to the service academies as many women as men, young men. These are outstanding people. So diversity, diver- they, can, they can be mean too. Well, look, d- diversity, diversity is a strength in our military, yeah. but it's, but it's about what it's about though. And, and the, and we now have 19% of our officer corps are women and the, uh, you know, warfare is changing, yeah. uh, cyber warfare right. and, uh, counter terror finance operations and all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, uh, roles for men and women in our military. But when the focus, the overwhelming focus becomes woke politics as opposed to defending the security of our country, uh, or then you're not, you're not going to meet your recruiting goals. And by the way, China, I can tell you this, the Chinese Communist Party, the People's Liberation Army, they're not doing this. In fact, the Russians, the Chinese, and our other adversaries are fueling this kind of woke thinking um, in covert ways within our military because they know that they're that they will gain a strategic edge as our as as we soften our our military. So it's a national security imperative that we reform That's the Pentagon and we and we get back to readiness locally in terms of law enforcement. Uh, Wait a minute, may I congratulate him for knowing what the difference between men and women? Sure. Sorry. <laughs> the the one of the things that we're seeing, if our in our local LFUC, whatever it is, Lexington Fayette Urban County government, 
at the uh, council level is almost a total denial of the fact that crime is up. You know, one of the things you get among progressives and embedded Republicans sometimes is this cocoon that they're in where they don't really know what's going on in the real world. You know, the importance of people like you getting out and being with real people, real constituents, is that they, they, they learn about, you know, we were at the city council. There had been a shooting in front of the courthouse like 40 minutes earlier, and they didn't even know about it. You know, the problem is, is the political class being insulated from the problems of real Americans. Uh, and one of the things that we need is policing. And the thing is, if the, if the government doesn't do it, then people will take matters into their own hands. It's been done before in this country. It'll be done again. And, you know, even cryptocurrency, that's, that's people taking currency into their own hands in a sense. The, the irony of the They'll de- go around government yeah. and do it, do it a way that works. Yeah, the irony of the defund police movement is that it actually would result in more cases of police Absolutely. misconduct because you wouldn't be able to recruit and retain the best and brightest. Couldn't. And uh, no one is going to risk their lives, not, not good people are not going to risk their lives when they're when they are demonized the way that Correct. police have we we do and that applies to the police and the military we, both we need to we actually need to resource law enforcement more not less to prevent cases of uh, these rare rare cases of police misconduct if you really want to reform law enforcement in this country so you don't have problems you need to recruit the best and the brightest we laughed. We were talking about uh, we were talking about Top Gun a couple weeks ago, and I said uh, it was back to that uh, Men in Black, uh, Will Smithing. Where's the best of the best of the best? Right. Can we not expect the best of the best of the best? Right. Well, I mean, I don't think that on the left. Well, I think it was really instructive. Evidently, somebody did a um, survey at the beginning of the uh, Ukrainian war with Russia. Russian Ukrainian invasion, and they asked people, uh, "What would you do if America, you know, were attacked?" And uh, and I don't know who did the survey, but evidently, fifty-two percent of Democrats said, "I'd get out of here. I'd I'd flee." So you're 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 putting all these uh, impediments on our country, and yet if it were attacked, you'd actually run from it. So we got to figure out who's got skin in the game, who wants to have skin in the game with the United States, and who's who's really invested in what we have here. And I think we're getting to see uh, after two hundred and some years what what's going to happen to this experiment in uh, representative democracy. People call all the guys on the left call it a democracy. They never use the word republic. But that's really what we are. We're that's not, right. We're not a pure democracy. We're an innovation on the ancient democracies. Correct. Um, but you know, th- this 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 is why you know the fight of the people of Ukraine, the fight of the people of of Taiwan, the fight uh, of the people in Cuba, the oppressed people in Cuba and Venezuela. That's our fight too. We can we cannot be the police officer of the world, nor should we we, we be. But investing in freedom and republicanism, small r, is 
to advance our values, our principles. All right, we got to jump right Good there. Point. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Congressman Andy Barr, Darsh Mashru, Missy Clifton, and Tom Dupree. We Happy 4th. We appreciate you listening. Happy 4th. <laughs>